Welcome to the Community Feedback Loop, a weekly podcast about sharing conversations between people in gaming and esports focused on community, public relations, and how we communicate in the video game industry. I'm Bob Holtzman, the host for the show. I've worked in games since 2007 and founded Co-op Mode Communications, a consultancy that offers public relations for games as a service and the communities who support them. Follow Co-op Mode Communications on LinkedIn. You can connect with me via the links in the episode's description. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Drop a follow on Spotify. Please support the show if you like what we're doing. And on that, let's throw it to our interview. Really excited about our guest today here at the Community Feedback Loop. He's um, a, a gaming industry veteran. He's done a lot of cool things. I'm sure I'm going to throw some speed balls at him, throw some curveballs at him because I, there's so much I want to talk to him about. But currently, he is the head of business development and publisher relations for Mod.io. Uh, please welcome to the Community Feedback Loop, Andy Swanson. Hey, thanks for having me, Bob. And, and you can throw me softballs too. You said oh. speedballs and curveballs, but a softball is, I think, what you were going for, and that's what I'd prefer. I'm, I'm actually let's go speedballs. Throw me a knuckle curve. <laughs> so you got that my, in repertoire? my 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 son loves baseball, but I'm a basketball player. So what I really want to throw you is some alley oops. Like I want to I want to set you up for some easy dunks. Um, I have the vertical leap of a small soap dish, so it's not going to help us out there. <laughs> All right, <laughs> nothing I can do there. Well, the, the, even with your vertical leap, I think you can answer this one, right? Like, let's just kind of, why don't you just kind of tell everybody a little bit about how you got into the gaming industry, um, where, where your head was when you first started working in video games. Totally. So this is going to be one of those stories that people are going to have to take as sort of random happenstance luck and the convergence of all things cosmic in your business life that you may not realize at that point. So... Uh, going backwards, backwards in time, I'm now five years out of college. It's 1998. Oops, I've dated myself. I'm using dates and numbers. But, um, and uh, I've been working at a health insurance company for five years, and they decided to get rid of the product line I'm working on. So five years out of college, I experienced my first layoff, which is very important that we all realize that work is temporary and that work is fluid. And so, and uh, it was a very generous severance package. So at age mid-20s, I had six plus months paid off and I kind of, wow. thought, you know, this is a luxury that I'm probably, you know, maybe I'll never see ever again. So I did what any 20 something would do at that stage. Well, no, I say any 20 something, that's not fair, but what I did at that age and I goofed off for about five of those months, um, explored San Francisco, went to a bunch of giants games, went to a bunch of other, you know, things, concerts midweek, things you can do when you, um, don't have nine to five employment. And, uh, I was getting down the end of it and a good friend of my wife's, sister sold ad pages in pc gamer oh man that's it is it a good friend of my wife's sister uh, sold ad pages in pc gamer when it was about a 350 page magazine like you know chock full of stuff gatefolds are those big things that we would have that would fall out we're out of oh editing. man this is the, the height of pc gaming before the death of PC gaming, which of course has been well exaggerated throughout the history of gaming. And um, I ended up getting a job selling ads for a company called Future, for Imagine Media, Future in the UK, um, and on a, on a PC uh, gaming magazine called PC Accelerator that was a sister publication of PC Gamer that was basically the uh, if Maxim magazine in the late 90s and PC Gamer decided to cross-pollinate. That was the gist of PC Accelerator. 
So you're doing sales. Now tell me this, were you into gaming at the time or was this, this kind of like, cause I know one of the things I always share with people is that I was kind of a lapsed gamer when I got into the video game industry. I really wasn't playing games anymore. I had um, always been a console gamer and all my friends bought an Xbox when I bought a GameCube. And so then I didn't have anyone to play with. So I kind of stopped playing for a while. Um, what about you? Where were you at with your, like, were you gaming or were you not into it? Yeah, so good, good, totally good question and great for anybody that's listening and thinking about getting in the industry or et cetera. Um, so yes, so I didn't realize it at the time that I was a gamer, you know, Atari, I had the first Atari 2600, my brother and I played on that. I had to wash dishes for uh, as long as my dad, what, we, what, what deal was, I will get, my dad told me he'd get Pac-Man on the Atari 2600 day and date if I washed dishes from that day till the day it came out. And of course, as we all know now, games slip and games from their announcement to their release date have long leads. I didn't know it at the time, but it turns out I was washing dishes for quite a while to get that day and date Pac-Man release on my Atari 2600. Uh, Nintendo, Duck Hunt, you know, the gun, the original Nintendo. Um, and then kind of went from there. And then high school stopped a little bit. And then college, we had a PS1. And we played oh. a decent amount of PS1. Tech Mobile on Nintendo was huge. I mean, one of my all-time favorite in, games. You know, in college. Yeah, the, the Jerry Rice, Bo Jackson, Tech Mobile oh, yeah. stuff was always a lot of fun. Um, and so I had it in me. But it wasn't this, are you a gamer, not a gamer oh, thing. Yeah. And I didn't realize it. I was, I was always into comics and sci-fi. Nice. So I was also a comic book reader. Same. So even though, I, yeah, even though I've ebbed and flowed in all of that stuff, it's always been a love and a passion of mine. And I don't think it really crystallized until I got in the industry. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute here. These are all these things yeah. that I love that are, there's this confluence. And, and look, I also love traditional sports. I love baseball, football, soccer. I love music. And so video games also moves us into this, well, all of these areas. And I think if you are of a certain age and of a certain demographic, like I have some friends who will talk about, oh, I had an Amiga. And I was like, well, my parents couldn't afford an Amiga. You know, I had a Commodore 64. I didn't even have a Nintendo. My parents were like, no, there's not enough educational value. So I was like the friend that would go to my friend's house. And I was like, well, can we just play your Nintendo? And even like... You know, games like I remember games like Metroid, I would play for three minutes and then they would get on and they would play for 45 minutes. So most of the times when I was playing these games with them, I was just watching. Right. Which is why I totally understand Twitch, which, you know, totally. There's a whole story about social, the social element of gaming. If we want to go down that path, yeah, people are like, when did people start watching video games? I'm like, they have since the dawn of time. We just didn't have streaming tech. I mean, that's the reality. Yeah. So, okay, so you started a PC gamer and you've kind of, you know, we we talked about this a little bit ago, Andy, like you kind of had this really interesting, like, um, you know, experience in gaming where you've worked with, you know, publishers like future you've worked in the, in the beast with, you know, companies like Ubi, um, obviously Twitch, and then you were at discord. And so you've seen some of the evolutions of how, uh, social components are changing. You know, wh- where, where do you see that right now? coming out of, you know, a, a nice run at Discord. And now and we'll talk about Mod.io in a minute, but Twitch, Discord and Future, I mean, they're all really serving the same needs, which is connecting people around a beloved pastime, but in a very different way because of the kind of the sign of the times, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to throw one in there that oftentimes gets overlooked, um, and, and which was Gamefly. And Gamefly was discs in the mail, right? And everybody was like, Netflix, it was Netflix for games, yeah. right? And what's Netflix doing now, past two is Netflix for games, and they still haven't kind of crystallized it. But it was, and I was trying to build cloud gaming for Gamefly, which would have been streaming of games. 
And we learned things too very quickly. The tech wasn't ready. The publishers weren't ready. And Gamefly as an entity didn't have enough cloud in the industry to pull all of those pieces together. So you could throw in cloud gaming in there in the idea of Gamefly being the Netflix for gaming. And we were just 10 years too early or whatever it was if I look back. So yeah, no, I agree with yeah the path there. So if you want to know how did I find that or, or interestingly way or where my brain thinks that way, um, it actually goes from a, from a, from a very, it, it's a positive that came out of a very negative. And the very negative is that the internet came around and created a situation where the, the print industry was no longer the king of media. Um, both ad dollars, reader attention, all kinds of things, right? And so I was, I was at the helm of uh, a medium that I loved, magazines, in an industry that I loved, video games. And I was realizing that something had to give. I could either stay in media or stay in magazines, or I could. And I realized at that time, it wasn't magazines and media that I loved, it was video games that I loved. So that was kind of this aha moment. And then I also realized it was no fun spending two to three years managing the ship going down. So I said, I always want to be on cutting edge tech moving forward, not backwards edge. And I didn't think I realized that at that, at that time. Because um, Ubisoft, I went there to just, I want to go work for a publisher. But the business lines that I was in charge of was in-game advertising, digital commerce. So literally e-commerce, Steam, Xbox Live, wow. all that stuff was brand new at the time. Um, licensing out, so making derivative products based on Ubisoft's IP. Oh, things like comic books, action figures, movies, television series, all of which were nascent at the time. Now, flash forward 10 years and they're mining us for all of our good IP. You know, Hollywood's taking all of our good IP. So everything that I've realized is that the one of the wonderful things about video games is it is about a love and a passion of and a perform of play. Um, and those are unique experiences that you share with people. Some of the times it's a commonality, like, oh my gosh, when you got to this boss, did you have this experience? And someone's like, I didn't even notice that. I did this instead. And, you know, but if we're talking about the latest episode of Loki, we all saw right. the same thing. I mean, there's Easter eggs, but right. you're totally so right. What, sure. One of the sure. things that we... Um, so I worked on, you know, Kerbal Space Program was a, a game that I got to work on. It was a lot of fun. And one of the things the lead developer said that always stuck with me was people would ask him, are you going to do um, in, instanced, uh, like instance dungeons, you know, procedurally generated stuff. And he said, no. He said, one of the high values uh, in having a single player experience like Kerbal Space Program is that when you say, I made it to orbit, everybody that's done it understands how hard that was and what it took to do it. So there was this shared joy, you know, landing on the moon in that game was considered like one of people, like a lot of people were like, this is one of my greatest achievements. And then when you would go on like Reddit totally. and you see these people who could like literally explore the entire solar system, you're just like, Wow. And, you know, there were real, um, there was a lot of really uh, interesting stuff that, you know, I mean, now we're starting to get into user generated content a little bit, which of course we're going to talk a lot about today. Um, but there was a lot of interesting yeah. opportunities there to learn how people played so that it could better your chance of achieving. Um, you know, much like real rocket scientists, right? Like they're when they were doing the Apollo series, they were always improving and iterating after the on off the previous work. Yeah, no, and I think I think you know I think this. I mean, first of all, UGC and modding, uh, it's just a term we apply to something that's been around forever and ever and ever. And ever. Like, and in all forms of entertainment, 
you know, there is some version of, look, I'm not doing this professionally necessarily, but it's a passion of mine that I want to create and share. Right. And I think that's it. We're getting into this. This we've always had this humans have always had this create and share mentality. And then we formed businesses around it. Uh, and businesses provide certain things, I mean, whether that's a record label or a movie industry or whatever it is, a middleware that allows people to mod. It doesn't matter. The idea of create and share is something that humans have had in, in the earliest existence. Um, so I think that, that it's one of those things that innately, that it's like, how much do you want to create and share? Like how, you know, some of these, these folks are, they could be professionals. They have that skill level and they still choose not to be. Um, whether that means an artist or a musician or a whatever, in the case we're going to talk gamings, where you get some people that create these mods that are basically full-level games, and they'll decline payment, or they'll decline wanting to do this for a living because the point of it isn't about commercialization. It's about exploration and creativity and sharing. And so that provides an interesting element to it as well. And so um, I think since things like creative things have been around people have been wanting to do that and now we're just coming up with unique ways of doing it whether that's twitch with a video stream of playing games whether it's discord of how do you find your friends and keep talking to them while you're not you know you're jumping from platform to platform game to game sharing collaborating or if you're at mod.io and now you've been doing this thing and you you wanted some sort of official marketplace you want people to be able to find it you want you you know how to create it but that share mechanism uh is something that hasn't been solved yet so it's all kind of figuring out the pieces of the puzzle and then figuring out where you want it, where you want to lead it. Let's talk about mod a little bit. I, you know, I, I, I understand, you know, the baseline model, which is you're a developer, you have a game that's, that's, you know, ripe for modders. You essentially integrate your guy's tool set. You, you basically set up the SDK and the plugins and then, you know, players can kind of come in and, you know, I'm going to give you a chance to explain it a little bit for those of us who maybe aren't as familiar with it. Um, you know, what's kind of the value add for the developer? And then if you're a modder, why why go this direction as opposed to maybe another alternative? Sure, sure. And those are all good questions. And we can talk about UGC and gaming in general. I think we'll probably, it sounds like we're going to go specific and then maybe. Yeah, broader. yeah as we as we go which is fine because i think like we should we should talk about roblox and manage oh we will you see in a different place okay cool cool so um so mod io okay so ever since when i was a publisher of pc gamer and all the way back right and this is when magazines were the only way that you could get information about video games on a regular basis because there was no television shows there was no internet and tv certainly was not covering it newspapers were not covering it regularly so enthusiast press that could be the same for music and motorcycles and any other enthusiast thing that's how you got them was was magazines modding was around in the days of the magazines so people were were way back then 20 some odd years ago game developers were utilizing engines and they were they were leaving part of the engines available for amateur folks to kick around with, right? So modding. Sometimes modding also has a little bit of a hacker background to it, too. So they had to take some liberties and stuff to play with the content. And so because of that, there was a, there was, although there was a distinction between allowing the people 
the modders, the community outside, and the people that are inside the developers. There was this very thin bridge of, okay, we're going to leave you access to this, but that's about it. That's about the only relationship you're going to have with us. We might like you, we might, but there's no official. We're not going to make money. We're not going to moderate. We're not going to promote. We're, it's going to kind of exist in a sort of punk rock underground. In fact, to some extent, I think mods of the old 60s, the old English sort of punk rock mod actually is a nice way of thinking about the modern modders as well, um, which is kind of punk rocky, right? It's got a little bit of that. Definitely. It's got a, lot, a little bit of hacker in it. It's got a lot of, you know, and it, and it, it it's it's, I mean, it's DIY at its best, right? And what what is more uh, in rock and roll, punk is the DIY. It's like guys learn how to play guitar by literally like slamming on the guitar or the drums. Yeah, three chords and the three chords and the truth is basically you don't need much to be able to be a musician. And same with some some obviously it's a little bit more complicated with with video games. So so it's always had that, and I think over time we've seen things like creator-based economy being acceptable. We've seen things like sampling and looping in music, right? We've seen collaborations with other people's songs. Um, we've seen fan films be embraced by things like Lucasfilm as long as they clearly identify it and don't make money. Like, so there is um, fan fiction and it has grown. So you'll see with me, like, we didn't, Mod.io didn't invent UGC in gaming. It didn't invent UGC in other places. Like, this is just a part of the human creative condition we're, we're a part of. And so it just basically bridges that gap, right? So things like um, moderation, right? Game companies don't want to get involved with what the modders are creating, but at a certain point, you're dealing with IP and IP protection and infringement and copyright laws. And so those are important things that people have to understand and, and, and be a part of and, and ad adapt to it. Um, so moderation, also offensive content. So not just IP, but images and things like that, languages, words that are offensive. Um, you've got... Um, Discovery. Where do I find this stuff? How do I get it? Where are all, where are all right. the mods for this game that I love? Okay, it's at this depository on yep. the web. How do I get this, download it, and install it? So you got technical gap, you've got moderation, you've got discovery and marketplace. And then the last one, which I think, and I'm going to say is still TBD, um, is monetization of UGC content. How do you monetize? How do you make money? And, and modding has been around for year, forever and ever with monetization, true scaled monetization, not being figured out. So it's survived all of this time and all of these things. And people have been without like pure institutional scaled monetization. Now, yes, some people make some money with donations. You can make some money with ads. You can run contests. And, and I'm not saying that people, some people, um, things like Roblox and Manticore are designed for people to make money on them. Yeah. There's platforms with that and built into it. So it's, it's a different trying to solve the problem or allow a place for those people to have a home to do what they love with easier tools and make some money. But, but those are different because they are also platforms. So I want to differentiate between a UGC platform and a UGC company like Mod.io, which works with other platforms like PlayStation, Xbox, PC, Epic, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so this is a good, I think this is a good, like, let's, let's talk a little bit. Of, you, you brought up Roblox and Manticore. Let's talk a little bit, like, because I, I don't really consider that they're they're user generated content but i don't really think of them as like those aren't to me those aren't modern communities those are just developers 
and they're just developing for those sites and the game wrote like i okay i know roblox isn't a game legally because of you know lawsuits and whatnot it, it, shay do you know about this no i've never heard about this ever. okay so 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 <laughs> i'm bringing shay into this because i i want to like we're going to do like a little explanatory here because I, and I thought Shay would be a good sounding board. I'm the right. guinea pig. Okay. So, okay. It. So Shay, you know <laughs> yeah. that Epic and Apple are in this big lawsuit, right? Okay. Yes, so there's a yes. huge lawsuit about, you know, should you be able to sideload a app store into, you know, an iOS device? And Apple, of course, has always said no. And, and, and Epic is essentially suing for the right to do so. They're saying the, the prices aren't fair on the App Store. So in the context of this, one of the companies that came up in the lawsuit was Roblox. And Roblox, of course, is, um, tech, was technically breaking Apple's own rules, even though they were allowed to do so. And to skirt this, okay. they removed the word game from everywhere on the Roblox app. And now every internal, uh, well, they were called games. They're now called experiences. So if you want to go on a right. platform, so <laughs> Roblox is a platform and they have experiences on Exactly. Server. So if you go on Classic to Roblox, you're not playing Roblox games. You're enjoying Roblox experiences. And those are developed by users. So, okay. So now that we've oh explained goodness. all this, uh, for the, and it's good, right? Right. So like, this is why I use Shay because yeah, yeah, Shay, yeah. Shay knows a lot yeah. about games and, and he didn't know this. Um, I think it, to me and Andy, you know, I, I want to hear your take on this too, but to me, those aren't, those aren't modders. Those are just developers and they're gamers because the game they're playing is making the game. That's literally the game they're playing. I don't think of them as modders, though, because they're not modding. Like, to me, modding is a modification of an existing game. Of an existing code. I, I'll, give you, I'll give you that. So, so fair, but are we, are we, you know, I forget the phrase where we're, you know, splitting hairs <laughs> or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you and I can do this, but if we're talking to, like, your parents or my parents or our significant... They don't even know what a modder is. They, they like... <laughs> What's the difference, right? So, so in our escape of this, of this, so whoever's listening to this podcast, you're in Inside Baseball, right? And if you don't know what Inside Baseball is, it's like Inside the Actor Studio. And if you don't know what Inside the Actor Studio is, those are all the references I can use. So I run out of them. Google them. Um, so you're talking about guys that have been doing this for a long time, and we just talk about it. Uh, so Shay, this is what your future looks like in 15 years of staying in the video game business. And Sounds great to me. Likely. Yes. So, but what you're talking about, Bob, is the business of video games, right? Yeah. And that that's that's different. That, that you know. So so do I think people that develop on Roblox and on Manticore uh, are modders? Probably not. Do they also mod? Maybe. Do do probably half of that pool of people that are developing on those platforms have some sort of modding cred or modding background? Probably because it is a bit DIY. And so they lean, they, they have like, they have like, and then I would also say they might come from Indies. Yes, they definitely are. So you're a game dev, but modders and indie devs are, I would argue, are more synergenic than indie devs and people that work at EA and Blizzard and Activision and Ubi, right? I so think like, you raise a really good point. of game devs, you know, there's like a, there's like fanboy and then there's like, 
you know, heroes of the industry, the Mimotos of the world, and there's everything in between. And modders and UGC people are down on that. More or less. I would almost argue, well, you know, okay, so I, you had me. I was agreeing with you, but I would actually argue when you talk about, oh, no, you didn't lose me. I was just disagree. I would actually argue that the modders Sorry. and the indie guys that you're talking about who are kind of cut from the same cloth, like that's kind of where I agree with you. You know, you're right. Modders and, you know, someone that's going to generate user, you know, if you're going to create a, a, a experience on Roblox or a game on Manticore, um, Boy, the Mantor guys should love us because we're just talking about them constantly with Roblox, you know, like. Uh, look, the, both of these have some hurdles. It took Roblox 14 right? years. Well, and they changed their business. Like they were building yeah. this well. Totally. To, and Manticore, you know, it's just, again, it's a, it's a, it is a topic of conversation right now. UGC yeah. is hot. How do we slice UGC? Roblox is one example. Manticore is another example. Mod.io is another example. Some people are, you know, there'll be some other ones that come out of this. Well, and okay. So, so back to you brought up like kind of like the real creative visionaries of the industry. And what I would argue is that I think you see a lot of this, that group uh, probably has more in common with people who are, you know, modding and being creative then they do, like you said, the, the AAA developers um, who are, you know, one of 200 on a team and, you know, they work on, um, you know, cell shading or they work on a very specific right. part right. of the game. And they're... Correct. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, don't get me wrong. Those, those jobs um, are really important. But I think mentally, that creativity spark where you're thinking big picture, um, you know, when you're modding, I, I feel like, or at least on Roblox, I should say, with the, with the development, I feel like you're creating something from scratch. It's just your tools are different, right? They have a different set of tools. Yeah. As well as expectations. I mean, to some extent, again, getting back to the business of video games, like, don't forget, video games are a business. And with that, you know, we all love the taste of the sausage. Not everybody's going to love the way the sausage is made. And there are lots of different types of sausages. People talk about this a lot. Similar with other passion industries. You know, I have a lot of friends that work in, you know, music, film, uh, sports, traditional sports. Uh, even esports has this, where the image of working in that industry as a consumer, when you're a consumer of that and you're passionate about it, and then the working in it and seeing the way it actually operates, you're like, that can be both exciting and wonderful, but it can also be kind of a disillusion of like, oh, I didn't realize that. So to my point to you there is, let's just take like Battlefield, because there's a new game coming out. And if you're working on Battlefield, wonderful franchise, great history, wonderful developers, huge community around the world that people love. But at the end of the day, it's also a holding pattern for EA's fiscal uh, 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 sure. You know what they do. Battlefield is going to account for X amount yeah. of revenue in their fiscal year because they have history of it. And you know, if it if it has a a wide delta of you know less than ten percent of expectations or above, you know they've got to project what's yep. going to happen here. And so that's wildly different. So they got to sell units. They have to have a date. They've got all this marketing muscle behind it. And it's all about trying to match or exceed expectations in a business capacity. 
the product just happens to be Battlefield. Unfortunately, like that, that strips away some of the love we have in this industry, but that, that's a pressure on those folks. And it's real pressure, and they work really hard to create the stuff that they do. A modder or a developer on a UGC platform, they don't have that. They might aspire to be something like that, but it's a totally different... They're not like, I have to have this out by this right. date. I have to have this... You, well, you know yeah. what I mean? There's, like, there's a totally... Soon TM. Um, it has to go through... The, the idea of, uh, you know, getting approval through being a vendor on a console vendor, um, ESRB rating, like, you know, the industry has a lot of layers to it as well, that traditional publishing that people don't understand. Or, and, and that's another area that this lets people play with, uh, they get to explore the creativity without some of the layers of business. But those layers of business are there to protect IP and generate revenue and those types of things. So there's a balance in, the, in those spaces that we're just learning how it's going to how it's going to pan out i think um and so that's important to balance those two things too okay so clearly you understand the business side but you know one of the things that uh shay and i were, were, were talking about um is you you like to use the hashtag give the gamers what they want um so how do you um you know, how do you advise, you know, the companies you work with to kind of match that mentality with that? Well, we have some raw numbers that we have to hit. It, 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 look, I'm, I'm never, I am never going to influence electronic arts to put their games onto Steam, back onto Steam. I'm never going to be the guy that says, Blizzard, you should open a battle net. Right. Or they're not going to like, like, so, so that, that is the, give the gamers what they want is kind of this thing that you've seen over, over a period of time of like, we're not, they're big enough and loud enough and communities are strong enough. And you've got the power of community now um, where you got to listen to the communities where again, Back in the days, think about it like the way you could communicate with video game companies when I started, you would write a letter to the editor. <laughs> Literally, a letter. And we would get these, ang- we called them the 12 angry men of the internet, which they would, we would get these letters from these guys just, I'm so mad. And you're like, well, we've got 400,000 readers and only 10 of you are pissed off about whatever. So anyway, so, so that was like, now we have direct relationships. In fact, there are community managers at video games. It's a hot, if you want to get into business, business community management is a great one. Social media, um, like probably the stuff that Shay's doing now, he's found a little lane into video game marketing or video game business that didn't exist 20 years ago. Well, right. Or didn't exist. 10 I years, mean, 10 podcasting years ago, five years ago, yeah. for podcasts, like as far as a commercialized real thing no it's totally ch- yep that sounds like <laughs> <me>. <laughs> hey, podcasting is ugc right here we are right? absolutely and the same thing has transpired technology and interest and discovery and marketplace has made these things easier to find well so at riot we were kind of calling it uh meme killing because there was a stretch where i was working at riot and the community was very angry about all the things we wouldn't do then we made some mistakes and some things didn't go the way we thought they would. And and after that, it really became about kind of saying, okay, why don't we go back and start actually doing what players have been asking us to do? Even if we don't think that should be the priority, let's just do it and see what happens. I, I shouldn't say that. Like, I don't want to... 
I don't want to claim that I can speak directly to the strategy. I can claim I can speak directly to the results. And the results were that um, we started to deliver things that were asked of us and it changed the tenor around the game and it changed how players felt around around about riot. Um, and I think that to me is, you know, when I, when I hear about, well, you need these numbers, well, then you better make sure that you're pro- providing the accurate amount of fan service because that's how you hit those sure. numbers. Um, you talked a lot about community there. It's one of the things we talk about all the time. I mean, this is called the community feedback loop, right? Um, yeah. You know, what makes the modding community different in your eyes? You know, how do they differentiate from, you know, other core communities within the gaming industry? Yeah, and I think I think I think the the end the the answer to that is they're not only willing to spend time and money purchasing and playing the core IP, right? So like that is you know so that's one piece. Like if you're if you're a fan of the game, I'm a I'm an Assassin's Creed person. I'm just let's just say that right. So I buy Assassin's Creed. I play let's go. Like there we go. I actually finished Valhalla. Although I did, I did buff my character so I could burn through it. So I'm a little bit of a cheat. That but sounds anyways, like the fun way to play to me. Just op it. <laughs> I don't hurt anybody. It's it, it single player. What do you? Nobody else. You know. However, I played like that game. You can play on the hardest difficulty and never use an arrow. That's cool. Enjoy that. We'll see you in forty. You know, four hundred hours. You know, I'm gonna try to get through this in sixty. Um, so, so imagine that, like, if you're a fan of that franchise, and I am, and I'm a consumer of it, and I'm excited when they're going to announce the next one and all of that stuff. But I don't spend my time and money deving on Assassin's Creed, creating things in the Assassin's Creed universe, sharing them with people in the Assassin's Creed universe. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, there's a there's a next level of fan and a next level of technical prowess and a next level of commitment to the franchise and that's one of those things where there's a differentiation between uh, a mod developer on an existing franchise in the gaming industry and a roblox developer roblox is in many cases is developing original ip on the platform the, the developers are or if they're using licensed ip like nerf yeah i worked with those guys it, it's a roblox version of nerf like that makes that can make some sense i don't think that assassin's creed and roblox are going to collaborate anytime soon Right, I'm not sure because you never know where the the future of this stuff goes. But any, I would say in the next five years, there's likelihood of very little official. Oh, I think Roblox. I oh, I totally disagree with you. I think Roblox will see a lot more uh, licensed IP come into the space. But I think you have to remember who the target audience is on Roblox, right? right? Assassin's Creed is for like, I mean, I'm just going to throw a number out there. I don't work at Ubisoft, but it's for an 18 year old, give or take, right? Um, It's for an adult. Uh, Roblox is wants to get there. They want to reach the point where they have adults on the platform, but the platform is for kids. You know, my 10 year old and my eight year old play a lot of Roblox. So when you think about the IPs that will fit to Roblox, they're the same IPs that have been brought into other games that fit that audience sector. So I think you'll see some gaming IP make its way to Roblox. It's just probably going to be a little bit younger, Um, you know, and yeah. So let's elevator pitch this, right? Watch this, ready? So Roblox is for kids. It's a platform that games can develop on. Dot, dot, dot. Manticore is? 
I don't know. <laughs> trying to be exactly what you just, they're trying to be exactly what you described. Trying to be exactly yeah. what you described, which is that next level up. It's it's Roblox for adults. It's 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 mature game development. When I say mature, I don't necessarily mean the right. M. Yeah. I mean like higher, high, bigger, bigger game, more complicated gameplay, uh, higher definition graphics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Multiplayer, like blah 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 blah. So it's like that. It is that. It's that graduating into so, grown up game making. You. So I would say Manticore. That's. I would think their elevator pitch is worthy older. Yeah, players. I mean, maybe. I, I've not heard that. I don't, I don't mean it. And a great spot because you identified that there's a hole in that. Yeah. I want to, I know you spent some time at Twitch. Uh, it's a really fascinating company. Um, you yeah. worked on esports there. You talk about, you know, a space where nobody really knows where it's going to go. There was this big bubble around esports. I think it's deflated a little bit, but there's still obviously a lot of excitement around the space. Um, you know, talk a little bit about where your head was at Twitch and how important esports is to Twitch. I mean, is it important to Twitch? And then, um, and I'm not talking about like Shroud or uh, I think Ninja's back on the platform. You know, I'm not talking about like that. I mean, like LCS or Call of Duty League or right. Overwatch right, League. Right, like, right. you know, like I'm talking like, right. you know, tip right, of the spear, right, right. competitive uh, scene esports. Um, you know, where, where was your head at, you know, when you were at Twitch with that space and then where is it now that you've stepped away from it? You're not working on it day to day. Um, because I talk to Shay about it all the time. I, you know, we've talked about it with other guests. I think this space is really interesting. I just think it's really small outside of China and Korea. I don't, I don't think it's the size that people think it is. Um, and I think especially in the States, it has a long road to go. However, I think that, you know, this is the same thing people were saying about Major League Baseball, NFL, and the NBA 60, 70 years ago. It, it will happen faster than those things because everything in our life moves faster than it did back then. Um, but it's still going to take a couple decades, in my opinion. That's, that's my take. But I want to hear yours. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, so I did. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So, so when I joined Twitch, it was because um, the ex-president of Future was the chief revenue officer, and Twitch had made the decision to a, pivot out of Justin TV and into Twitch, and monetize the advertising in game advertising. Right. So they kind of had their roadmap put out in front of them, and then they said, "Hey, we need to get some seasoned people that can talk through this." And so the, the Twitch media group that was launched kind of a ragtag bunch of games media industry veterans that said, okay, we got, we understand what this is and let's go take it to market. Super fun time. Loved it. Once we established that and we got to like, okay, and, and Twitch, you know, got out of the atmosphere with its revenue and with its user growth, you know, I'd done media sales before and I, as much as I love it and understand it, it's not my passion in the games industry. We talked about the magazines. Like I didn't love magazines. I love video games. I don't love selling ads, but I get it. Right, but I get it and I can do it and it's an important function and a part of the video games industry. Um, I said, okay, we've done this. Now I wanna, I wanna move on and do something different. One of the things, Shay, that constantly be looking for is am I learning? Am I learning a new part of the business? Am I growing? Is this a new emerging business line or an area that's kind of a blank space for me you know, in my career? Um, and so I said, look, I was not, I'm not a competitive gamer. I am a single player narrative based Interesting. Gamer, I do not like competitive gaming. If I play competitive gaming, it's usually against bots because I can create the level of difficulty to make myself be like, ooh, that's a close okay. match. You know, I don't like being the bottom of leaderboard. But I have a 15-year-old son now who plays, all he plays is competitive. What's you know, he playing? Multiplayer. And 
he he's, he's like he would be considered a general. I'd consider him a generalist because he'll get hot on something. He plays a lot of rainbow, but then he'll go into apex. And then Great I decision. found him. He went, but he'll find his way back to like Minecraft. Yeah, right. Or him and a, him and a buddy got Dying Light the other day because they were excited about Dying Light Two coming out, and they steam gifted Dying Light. So it's kind of like I love one of these things. I'd love to do is go downstairs to his room, don't knock, and I just open the door and see what game he's playing. You know what I mean? Because you know he could. They and they were playing Among Us. They oh were yeah, playing, he played some Kerbal Space All Program. Right. Like you know, like like different 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 stuff he burned through uh resident evil uh village um so, oh, like, so he's playing he a lot as far as competitive rainbow yeah rainbow apex uh he plays some fortnite now before he aged out of fortnite but comes back when the season refreshes and he runs around and goofs around like there's a you know there's that age a thing. year ago today I was playing Fortnite almost exclusively because of the Marvel season pass. Um, I I was curious. I asked because I have a friend who has a teenager um, and he uh, was an Xbox player, but one of his friends got him into Valorant. And he is just like, he was playing. He showed me, I, I like felt bad for him. I was like literally talking to his dad and like, you got to get him a gaming computer. He was playing on some old crummy Dell, you know, like on this, like, you know, with his mouse and his like sad little keyboard. I was like, I was like, I told my friend, I was like, you got to get him a gaming PC. He's like, I know we are. And so now he's got a gaming PC. But then what's funny I'm kind of tangenting here, but what's funny is now they're in the same office and he's trying to play Valorant while his dad's trying to work. That's maybe not going so well. But I was curious. I was curious because, you know, it's so interesting to me how much, you know, how quickly, you know, these players will gravitate, you know, if if they're not generalists. Like, because to me, I think he's not playing Fortnite at all anymore. He's just playing Valorant. It sounds like Rainbow might be, and well, then Apex seems like a good... I mean, Shay, how how much do you play other games besides Apex? I know Apex is kind of your main. Yeah, Apex is the main game. Uh, I don't know if I want to openly say on the podcast how much time I spend playing video games because it's a little, a little scary. No, I definitely, I play everything. I probably have, I have Call of Duty downloaded. I play Call of Duty. Warzone? I just downloaded. Yeah, I play some Warzone, I play some 2K. I'm a sports game person as well. So, like, I just okay. Steam Summer Sale. I got PGA Tour 2K21. And I'm uh, I'm grinding my way through right now. I love golf. Me golf's like great. This golf's great. Yeah. So. Shay, I'm not going to age gate you or anything, but you are not PGA 2021's target audience. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, 22. So, so good on them. Good on them, good on them for. Good on them for. Uh, for That's for a really PGA. good game. Yeah. I don't know. So it's great, yeah, but totally, I'm definitely totally. definitely a generalist because, like, yeah. I know Bob. Like I told you, like I'm playing Hood Outlaws and Legends, like a very oh, small game. Right. Like I just Assassin's Creed. Like yeah, I I like to try everything. Yeah, totally, but Apex totally. always come back to. But here's the thing, in order to be an eSport, whether you call it athlete, professional, whatever, you are committing to said game as oh, yeah. your profession. And that is that is the equivalent, uh, and if you, you are doing that at the amateur level with the goal of doing it, it is the same level of dedication and amount of training that, that and, and at this point, reality of you making it as my son playing high school baseball thinking he's going to make the pros. It's... The reality is, is if you want to be a professional esport athlete, you are going to, you should be spending three to five hours a day 
honing your skill to do that. And I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. I'm just saying that's the nature of doing it. Just like if you want to become a professional baseball player and you're in high school, you're playing on a travel baseball team. You're probably having baseball five days a week. You're going to the batting cage. You're, you know what I mean? Like you're doing those things. And a lot of those high school baseball players never play college. And no, never play it's pros. Same with a lot, a ton of amateur. Yeah. No, it, it, yeah. You know, so that's part of it. Part of it is a difficult thing to do because the level of skill is unbelievable. But is, what about the business? Because, uh, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. esports is essentially a sport now, especially the, the higher level ones. I mean, everything you said there's accurate. Um, you've got to work your way up the ladder. But what about like the business side of things? What, is, is this something like, do you see LCS existing in 25, 30 years and being more popular? I don't. Here's the thing. Um, with traditional sports, you have to be in a location. The two teams physically have to be there. And the enjoyment of said, so there is a local localization to it, physical location. Um, and there is a regionality to it. So the local teams, right? If you look at any professional sports organization, they've grown up. If they've moved, fine. But, you know, organizations build and you're a fan of a, of a because of where you grew up or where your dad grew up or where you went to school or where you live now or something like that in your past. Esports don't have that and they won't anytime soon. They're not building it. They've tried. So you're not going to, you're, you're probably not going to grow. I don't know. Like what? Shay, I'm going to put this to you because this is more you than me. I have gotten my son to like the Miami Dolphins and the Los Angeles Dodgers as his sports teams because that's what dad likes. Sorry, Bob's shaking his head. But that's just because of where I grew up. And Dolphins, Dolphins are fine. I live in L.A. I suffer so, enough Dodgers yeah, yeah, fans. Dodgers. Yeah. All right, all right. You're, you're no, I'm a Cubs fan, LA but and, and, Cubs. Oh, you're Padre? Oh, Cubs, whatever. All right, that's fair enough. Um, so, so, like, what's the eSport that you're going to teach your kids about, Shay? Is it Apex? You don't know. If, if he, that's the sport. So the game is the sport in eSports. Let's just be transparent. If you want to compare it, you have to say baseball equals Apex, soccer equals COD, blah, 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 because that, that is the apples to apples comparison. You cannot say the NBA versus esports. That is an apples and oranges comparison. So anybody I... talking about the business, they love to do that. So sport to sport and then team within the sport. So my favorite team is the Dodgers in professional baseball. Who's your pro- favorite, who's your favorite um, professional Apex team, Shay? Well, so I like professional Apex is so weird because there's such a amateur scene where everyone like it's going to be a different team in every tournament outside of like the top five to ten orcs that are in everything. So like the close thing for me is I watch like CDL stuff and I'm a Seattle Surge fan because it's the most well-established, I think, esports league in terms of structure, in my opinion. Okay, tell me about Seattle Surge then. Are you from Seattle? I'm from Seattle. So I'm a Seattle Surge fan literally because of that. Like I had a couple friends that were really big Call of Duty people and they were like, hey, Shay, come watch the Call of Duty League. And I'm like, oh, well, if I'm going to watch this, what team am I cheering for? And they're like, oh, there's a Seattle team. And I'm like, okay, from Seattle. When when was the CDL? When did the CDL launch? Jeez, I don't even know. Maybe like two years ago. Something like that. was Was Seattle Surge one of the original teams? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Right. I couldn't okay, so tell you anything about them. Yeah. The history like, of your, my point is the history of your favorite team, you know, very little of in this. Yeah. Of a game. Like, so my point is I'm trying to be like, Bob, let's talk about the Cubs now. 
right? Let's switch gears and talk about your favorite baseball team. And you've got decades and decades and decades of history. You grew up in Chicago. The Cubs are well-loved. Wrigleyville's there. You didn't win a World Series. You were the lovable losers. You won the World Series. Like, you know, Harry totally. Carey, all of this stuff. Um, and that's like, all to that's, come. That, yeah, that's totally. Like, but you know what? So, yeah. all right. Well, well okay. So, Andy, I'm going to, before I was working in video games, I covered Major League Soccer. And Major League Soccer has done quite nicely. They've, they've, they've really grown into a solid sport here in the States. Are they as big as EPL or other leagues? No, they don't have the money and they're, they're, they're not there yet, you know, and they probably won't be because of external competitive pressures, right? And I think that actually is a better example and a better challenge to esports longevity challenges. Like if you look at League of Legends, the best players play in Korea and China because they are Chinese and Korean. The best soccer players play in Europe because that's where they're from or they play in South America because that's where they're from. Right? Um, Well, they're not playing in Mexico. I mean, the Mexican league's not that good. I mean, the Mexican national team's good, but not that good, you know? It's Italy. It's it's Great Britain. It's Spain. Spain. It's Germany. It's Brazil. Well, think about it. Like, think about right now, the Euro. I've got a bet with my co-worker in the UK. I'm half Danish, half Swedish. So Denmark's playing okay. today. And I got a bet on lunch. Yeah. Him. He and I have never been to a soccer right. match together. We've never watched a game together. But because of our national heritage, I got Absolutely. this thing, right? Esports e- isn't there yet. Not Nobody's yet, no. like, hey, we got this thing on. And, I'm, and, and, and I don't know. If, the answer to that question that you asked me earlier is, I don't know. That would, that would, that would assume that League of Legends... Somehow, either both stayed the same and also evolved technically to be relevant, right? Because video games are technology based, things change drastically. The game of football or the game of baseball, we're talking about robo umpires, instant replay, um, you know, changing the rules for the safety of the quarterback or the pitchers or whatever it happens to be. The game of the games haven't fun. Yes, they have. Changed, oh, right. Oh, Andy, you're getting into one of my sweet spots. Think about basketball. They used to literally have to get a stick and push the ball out of the peach basket when the game first started. Think about football. The football, the the goalposts were literally in different places. They were literally on the field. Um, the rules of football have changed so much. Um, I mean, football, American football is actually a great example of this. They've literally changed the sport in our lifetime. In our lifetime, they've changed the sport to make it more palatable for people to watch on TV. What works on TV? Big plays and touchdowns. So what do we have now? We have a league that caters to quarterbacks and passing games. If you, we grew up with, with sweetness, right? Like we grew up with run games. Remember how big of a deal it was when Bill Walsh came out with the West Coast offense? They almost never ran the, from the shotgun in the West Coast offense. And now that's all they do. They, the whole offense and defense, everything's changed. So, so I, Andy, I, I totally appreciate you saying you don't know, but, but Shane knows that I'm a big believer in this. I 100% think these games will be around in 20, 25 years, as long as the businesses continue to iterate and evolve and modify these games. So, uh, right. And, and that's, that, that's, that's kind of why I wanted to kind of bring it back full circle a little bit to the modding aspect, because the, 
you know, you've seen so much in your in your in your uh, career from you know starting at PC Gamer and PC Accelerator now to Mod.io. We talked a little bit about <laughs> Twitch and esports. We we didn't we haven't talked on. I want to talk about Discord before we we wrap this up. Um, but I guess my sure. question is. is we we do kind of Shay and I talk about how much of a niche this podcast is, but do you see with the the kind of the niche the way that games have become niches of niches and you can really build big deep audiences on niche games, League of Legends? Um, you know, where do you see like? What do you see for the future of modding? Like, do you see it becoming more like Roblox and more of these modders becoming developers outright? Or do you think that, you know, this is the tools are going to get better? The, you know, the, the, the people like mod.io are going to just continue to get better and they'll, they'll continue to be this rich modding community that is separate from the development community, even though they're really kind of, like you said earlier, cut from the same cloth. I think we're going to see a blending of it. Honestly, I think the bridge that technology like Mod.io builds between core game developers and modern communities and creates a situation where developers feel comfortable with the creations of these people, that they're doing it the right way, that they're doing it uh, appropriately, that uh, people can find it, that it's fun and creative usage and it doesn't take away from the base game. Um, I think it's going to be, some of these guys are using it, I'm, 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 a couple of big developers that I talk to actually use their modding communities as a feeder system for their dev. So they take, they take some of these guys down in Texas that are, um, are like, they take a local college program and a college course, use their game as the source, give them access to them, teach them modding when they're in, in essence teaching them development. And then as the cream rises to the top, those people will then have a feeder system, a local feeder system wow. into their game dev. So that to me was like pretty That's pretty awesome, cool. Right? And there are ways to slice this stuff that people are going to use. Um, I think, I think uh, you know, I think um, things that we need to see and we need to start documenting um, unpaid mods. What is the value of an unpaid mod to a game developer? Meaning... So, like, what is usage? So, if a, if a mod generates 400 more hours or 10,000 more hours of gameplay, how valuable yeah. is that? If it creates, if it brings in 15 new users to your game that never got introduced to it because they're friends of the mod, like, how valuable is that? Is that loose? It's, it's the thing. If you want to go into, ready? Here's a nice segue into Discord, right? How much value in dollars and cents is your community? Well, you don't yeah. know. It's like, it's hard to say, but you know, it's valuable. So you have to have a place to let them communicate with you. You have to have people that communicate and moderate with those people. Now you can set your tone for your community. Yeah. How toxic do you want your community? <laughs> how safe do you want your yeah. community? That's up to your brand, right? And how, how engaged do you want to be in your community? But, but at the end of the day, how much revenue is that going to generate or lose for you is not clear. So, but we need to assume at a certain point there will be like there is value in modding communities and they right unpaid modding communities. And then when we get into monetization, which I think will fully happen not until 2022, because it's going to require people coming to the table to say, "Here's my share, here's your share, here's your share, here's your share." Can we all agree that this is fair? Um, 
uh, is going to be, okay, now we're actually making money. And so now we get to see, okay, not only did this extend the life of the game, but it extended the revenue because monitors are going to share with the game publishers at some point mm. that, that that dynamic yeah. will have to occur. So, okay, now, now the modding community is kicking back money to the publisher. And now they, oftentimes game companies look very differently at things when all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait a minute here. Here's this untapped audience that can help us build our business, drive our business forward. They are not scary. They are not evil. They're not trying to rip us off. They're not trying to, all of these uncertain things that were like unknown about modding and modders for years is now like, no, no, no. Like the gap is bridged now. You, this is a part of the ecosystem. And that's what I think we're going to start seeing. There we are, see. We're seeing One of the now. really interesting things um, that I think you kind of touched on there was this idea of, um, you know, where we're going to be in the future as like, you know, you start to give people different opportunities to, you know, make money. Uh, the, the publishers start to see some of the money coming back their way. So maybe that entices them to make sure the games are built in a way that's more modern friendly. Um, and I think that goes back to something we've talked about on prior episodes of the community feedback loop, you know, so uh, a lot of my work is around games as a service and we see so much in the, in the broader like business media talking about crunch and, you know, how hard it is to make AAA games. You talked earlier today about, you know, the need right. to really forecast your revenue. And it seems like, you know, one thing that I don't understand that a lot of players get is it's a once you have a successful game as a service, it's such an easier development cycle for the developers, for the publishers. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's not easy, but it seems like it is an easier right. um maneuver uh, or um, not maneuver, but an easier business to run. Um, and then you have tools like discord, sure. right? Like, do you see like, you know, I, I mean, I know there's always going to be a space, but do you, do you see it continuing to be more and more games as a service in the future? Do you think that's going to continue to be where we see more of the industry going? I mean, I do. I, again, I fall back to familiars and I, I had a juxtaposition. Initially, I had a strong juxtaposition uh, for you. And then I was like, oh, what I just read was actually funny. So example, Ubisoft, because I work there and I'm friendly with them. And my son plays a lot of their games and I play a lot of their games. But a good, a good example, Rainbow Six was a, bro was a box product, yeah. right? Originally, it was a box product. Um, when they originally launched Siege, it originally had a single player to narrative. I remember because I was calling on them and they gave me the whole pitch. It was awesome too, because they're a single player guy. I was all excited, but it didn't fit. It didn't work. So they went just straight old multiplayer, not old, but like tactical right. map based rainbow, which is what it came from. And and then it became a 1999 product, and then they realized it was a games as a service. So it was a multiplayer only box boxed product, right? Um, that then evolved into a games as a service. Well, like. That is a very different dev cycle and how, how Ubisoft brings out a SAS, uh, Rainbow Six and their updates and their da-da-da-da is very different than the way they were approaching Assassin's Creed, which was annually for a while there, and then it got tired annually, and they were doing every other every other year biannually. Um, well, the announcement, I think, was today or yesterday, just said Rainbow's going, or sorry, Assassin's Creed is going games as a service model. 
Oh yeah, with uh, Assassin's Creed and Infinity. Yeah. Yeah. Infinity. So so there is one that I literally I was just going to say, oh well, here is in the confines of one publisher and they've got the two models working at, side by side, both out of Montreal. But now I've just read, oh well, now they're looking to Assassins as a games as a service, probably for what you're talking about, which yeah. is it's easier on the dev cycle, it's easier well, on an update. You know, it's Grand- easier for them once they break out of that. Yeah, I mean, GTA. Grand Theft Auto 6 is no, it's not going to come out anytime soon because GTA Online is way too mm. successful and they, there's no, there's no, I, if they're crunching on GTA Online, it, there's no way they're crunching. It just isn't possible because of the way the dev cycles have to be designed. You might have a late night at the office, right. you know, once a month, but like, it's just, that's just not, there's too much control when you are scoping your product on a, you know, at, for Riot, it was two weeks, you know, I think Fortnite's on two weeks. You know, we, yeah. what, what, Shay, we talked about Apex uh, with the prior guest, it's every three months? Six, six yeah, weeks. Three months yeah, for the big six, one. Yeah. Six, six for the smaller yeah, one. Six weeks. Yeah. Six weeks sprint and a quarter. All right. Yeah. All right. So, Andy, I've been uh, grilling you for a good while now. I want to um, kind of, uh, yeah. before I forget, I want to I wanna talk to you a little bit about Discord because um, I, I actually, big fan of Discord, uh, been using it for a long time. And yeah. um, what I have to say is I, I've been actually advising a lot of my clients on the communications work that I do uh, when I'm not talking with folks like you. Um, you know, Discord's kind of usually a priority. Uh, and then I look, I always say, well, you should sure. try to have a YouTube presence as well. But there's something so valuable about Discord. It's kind of replaced a lot of, uh, it's, for a lot of companies, it's replaced the old school forum. Um, it's a little bit yeah. more, uh, you can use community mods just like forums did. Um, you know, wh- what did you see when, you know, from your time there that, you know, you are working with AAA publishers, um, you know, how quick were they to adopt the platform? And, you know, what do you see? I think my biggest fear for it is like, I know my one issue I have with Discord is I sign up for all these servers. I have dozens and dozens of these servers and most of them I just never even look at anymore. Like, you know, so for me, I always get, what's that? Self-pruning. Yeah, I'm terrible. Self-pruning. Yeah. So servers are like apps. Self servers are like apps on your phone. Like, uh, okay, you you're know. you're learning about one of my weaknesses, oh, right? Um, I'm not much of a pruner. Yeah, yeah clearly. Um, but like as a yeah. as somebody who you know wants to help companies keep an engaged audience, that uh, that's always been my biggest concern. Well, you get these people to sign in, but how often do you get them to come back? Um, you know. Just would love to kind of hear your thoughts about Discord, especially, you know, still working in a space where I'm sure a lot of the mod.io modding community are probably on Discord as well. Totally. Oh, yeah. I mean, Discord, I would think that if you are a gaming company and you do not, and you're not familiar with Discord, I don't know what's, there's something, something, you've got to be in a part of the world that you don't have good internet access or something. Because I think it's both from a consumer perspective, from a design perspective, from a, overtaking slack and teams and any sort of like people use discord for work now as work communications in the yeah i i I use it Um, all the time influencers use it influencers use it 
influencers use it to talk to their communities. And so that when they have a business conversation, they're like, can we just do this on Discord? Like, I don't want to do this on email or Skype. Like, let's just keep it where I'm talking to my people. So it, it does have this like sense of, of, of repository. I think just like anything else in video games is if it is a new technology, it happens with the consumers and the indies first. Right. It's not happening at the halls of EA or the halls of Microsoft saying, let's create a user video voice product that allows people, you know what I mean? That's just, they, they would think of it as a, let's create a product that creates a social network for origin or for Xbox live and discord. Like right. that's the antithesis of what yep. discord is meant to be. So, so it's never going to come out of that. It's going to come out of a natural Genesis, right? Um, and if you look, failures come out of those big corporate things trying to say, hey, I'm going to create this thing that people want. You're like, they don't want your version of it. They want their version of it. So once you accept that and you realize that, OK, it's, I need to be on it, you've got to dedicate time, element and resources to it. Just like we maybe didn't have social media managers as a part of your marketing or PR team prior to things like Facebook and Twitter. Now you've got people that that's all they do. So community management, Bob, as you know, has been an evolution over the last five years. Nothing but an evolution up and to the right if you're in community or community management because it is starting to be quantified. It's starting to be valued. There are starting to be tools that have been built for you to manage and use those communities. You can manage official communities and unofficial communities side by side and have them have symbiotic relationships if you do it right. But you can also screw it up and do it totally wrong, which is, hey, we've ignored the Discord communities for year or for a couple of years. Now we've decided we want to engage, and they come in with some sort of hammer and just say, "Here's the official place now." And everybody's like, "You know, screw you. We've been here for years. We don't need you." You know, so you know, it's not somewhere to like jump in and say, "We're here now." It's it's more of a, "Hey, we've listened." We've established this for our IP and our community. We're going to use Discord's tools to run our community this way. We're going to support our unofficial communities in this capacity. We're going to use these channels for these things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, we're going to we're going to we're going to you know accept this level of toxicity or language use, and we're going to put the ban hammer down when it becomes our level of a, of what we think is inappropriate. If you don't like it. Go join another gaming community that loves, you know what I mean? Like, so there's space to play um, and space to moderate. And if, and if you want to just be a toxic, you know, poster, these communities can bail well, you out, and, right? Where it wasn't that easy. And to there's, it's there's so many communities on Discord that if that's what you want, you can find it and there'll be other toxic people. It's sure. kind of like... That reminds me, one of the things that I used to joke with a lot of the different um, online developers I worked for was, well, what if you just did like a, um, a prisoner's island in matchmaking? And once you found out someone cheated, you just threw them all on a prisoner's island. Let the hackers play the hackers. Shay knows this. I'm a huge PUBG guy. You know, I've got, you know, well over a thousand hours sunk into the game. I, I still try to play, you know, once or twice a week when I have the time and um you know when the cheating is low it's so fun and when the cheating is high it's not <laughs> because you, you just like wait i just that guy no scope me am i that bad yeah, and, and it's like yards. you know and then, yeah, you, and then yeah, you end up watching your death cam a lot and you're like you know oh no okay i i wasn't as protected as i thought but you know 
And it doesn't feel good. Like I know they they do a nice job of telling you, hey, the person you reported, we've we've given a ban. And I wish I could say that feels good, but it doesn't. Um, you know, no. so it's like I I do feel like Discord from a community perspective, it's so diverse. If you want to be a jerk, you can find a place to be a jerk. But I, I do like your point about moderation. I think that's a really important one that a lot of people in the industry overlook, right? That like you need strong moderation and right. you need to have really firm rules um, because if you don't, the there's always going to be somebody that thinks they can, you know, skirt the line. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, there are, there are jerk Cub fans and there are jerk Dodger fans. And sometimes those guys oh, get yeah. kicked out of the stadiums because they've had too much to drink right. and they're yelling inappropriate things where there are families around them, right? Like this exists. I, this is the world. And you know what? Text 555 to the community and right. Usher will come down and toss them. That's an example of that in real life. Yeah, not that's a great dating, point. You know, but it okay, so we always like to kind of like round out things, Andy, with a few questions. Um, it's just kind of our, our go-tos. Right. The first is um, sure. one that I've constantly asking myself because before I got into the video game side of the world, I was a sports journalist. And I always think about yeah. how valuable some of the things I've learned uh, would have been to have in my brain when I was a young reporter. What do you wish you knew about the game industry when you were younger? Um, oh, I guess that it is a, I mean, it, it is an absolutely viable, incredibly large business and career opportunity for anybody who is passionate about it. Even if you're, if you're a skill set, if you are a creative artist, if you are a technical person, you know, if you are a business person like myself, right, that's my, my, that's my, my strength is I'm a business guy with a love of the subject matter, right? So that love of subject matter and then knowing who you are as a person and as, you know, what you want to do with your work time is, is an important match. So if you can match those two things, the video game industry is a hugely valuable part. I think, you know, my dad, when I switched from healthcare to video games, he was like, I don't know about this, Andy. You know, as a 25-year-old, something, you're not sure that there's any, we talk about it. He laughs at me now because I'm talking about the Discord passed up a big check for Microsoft. And he's like, really? They're talking about build tens of billions of dollars? I'm like, yep. And they said, no thanks, because they think that they're, you know, have more value elsewhere. Um, you know, assuming the rumors that we hear were, were accurate. Um, so, so like, that's something too. Like, don't be, this is not a kid's thing. It, you know, that this is a business. We make our living doing it. Um, and so it, because of that, you're getting paid and you have to do some things that you may not love to do because it's work, not play. But it is much more enjoyable than working for me than like what I experienced in healthcare. Not that healthcare isn't valuable, but my passion wasn't there. So matching business with passion I mean, is important. It, it is funny now that you bring it, you, you say it like that. I realized you went from probably the fastest growing business to like the second fastest growing business in North America, right? Because <laughs> yeah. um, healthcare has just done yeah. nothing but up and to the right as, as video games has. Um, okay. So that was really cool. Yeah. Um, 
What are you? Okay. So you mentioned you just finished Assassin's Creed Valhalla. We always like to kind of go through what are you playing right yeah. now? Like I'm kind of back on the PUBG train. I'm also playing a little bit of Mario Golf. Shay, I don't have P- PGA 2K. I'm playing Mario yes. Golf. And I'm also <laughs> playing an iPad game called Clap Hands Golf, which has a nice touch screen where you... You pull down and and th- swing your your arm up for your club swing. So that's what I'm playing. Andy, what what are you playing right now? So I finished Valhalla. I, I'm going to go back and play the Druids, which is their Irish, their Ireland DLC. Uh, I'm fortunate that I have friends still at UB, and so I get season passes, and the DLC just shows up. Um, one of the other benefits of the industry is that you get to play games and have an opinion about games, as, as and sometimes you sometimes you get free games. Uh, as well, if you make friends and do nice things for people. Um, so that's nice. Um, I, you know, the, the, the fall is always a really fun part for me. So I will, I will absolutely play COD um, narrative. Modern Warfare 1, the first time around, was one of my favorite games. Deus Ex by uh, Warren Spector, the original, was also one of my favorite games. Those are two where I just have these moments of like, oh my God, like every gamer has those moments. And it, they could be different games. Different triggers, different things, but that, oh, I love this, um, was the, you know, the, the private crawling out of the helicopter with the nuke in Modern Warfare 1. Um, you know, so having those experiences. So um, I, those are fun for me. Um, I'm really disappointed that Battlefield 2042 is a uh, single player because I, I do enjoy their campaigns as well. Um, but I'll play COD. I'll play Far Cry. I love, I love Far Cry. So narrative-based shooters are are kind of my thing. And then, of course, Assassin's is a narrative action adventure. Um, I've kind of dropped off mobile. Um, I tried the Clash stuff. I do a lot of Candy Crush, but it's totally, totally just a brain freeze. Like, it's just like I'm waiting for something and I, and I, I play, I think, I don't know, 2,000 oh, wow. or something. I maybe have given them, but I've maybe given them $25 in the five years I've been playing Candy Crush. So, I'm like, every once in a while, I give them nine bucks. Um, I remember when Bobby Kotick did this thing about Blizzard and Activision and King, um, and I appreciate that from a corporate perspective, but there is no crossover. Even though I play COD uh, and Candy Crush, there's no crossover in my experiences there, and there's no crossover in my love of those said games or anything like that, but I do actually sometimes play. But they're very yeah. different experiences, right? They're totally... One's I'm waiting, one I'm waiting at the doctor's office and the other one I'm like, I'm going in for a couple hours. I am playing some Clash Royale right. still. Um, I didn't bring that up, but I'm, you know, I, yeah. I was playing a little bit of COD Mobile, um, but I haven't lately. COD Mobile's yeah, fun. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't play Candy Crush. Oh, MLB The Show. Oh. So I'm an Xbox guy. And so when the show came, great example yeah. of cross-platform, give the gamers what they want. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know Jamie at MLB Games. I Jamie don't. At all. I don't know if you know him. Okay, but anyway, he's, he's a great guy. Been there forever and ever. And he's a baseball guy, and he's a games guy, and he loves it. And the fact that MLB show, the show was the only licensed right. baseball simulation was something that's brutal, especially for a game like baseball that because of its pace and the thing is losing a younger audience, right, kind of thing. And so he basically, they just basically said, look, Sony, we can't have this be single platform anymore. And I, that's giving the gamers what they want. So when... NBA, NBA, or sorry, MLB The Show came on uh, 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 Game Pass. I picked it up, and my son and I played it. Our only problem is it's too much Fernando Tatis because he's. <laughs> we talk. About, you're playing a lot of games, which is great. Um, I'm a little envious. I, 
I'm probably still trying to work on my golf game too much, uh, my real life golf game too much. So I'm not playing as many games, but what's a fascinating community that you're not currently working with or on that is drawing your attention? It does not have to be in gaming. No, it just has to be a community. Like, I, I mean, I used the example of my, my kid's little league team a few episodes back when he was in the throes of his season. Um, right now, I'm probably starting to pay a little bit of attention. Um, I worked with a player last year and he got picked up. Uh, he got traded essentially um, to a new LCS team. So okay. I was kind of back in the LCS community this morning, reading what people were saying about him and the and the trade. Okay, so an, an interesting one that has a video, a little bit of video game slant, a little bit of my own personal thing, and uh, kind of interesting connection. So I like to cook. I'm, I'm the mm-hmm. cook of the house, so I, I do all of the cooking here. Now it's not like I don't have aspirations to be a professional chef. None of that, but I appreciate, you know, one of, one of my, one of my, you know, if I, if they said you had, you could only have five cable cha- or five content channels on a desert island, I'd probably bring the Food Network with okay. me just as one of them kind of thing. Wouldn't that make you hungry? Um, so I've got a guy that I worked with. Yeah, uh, probably. His name's uh, Andy Lunique. So at Discord, we had five Andys. So I love Andy. Yes. Five Andys. Do you know Andy? Okay. So chef. Do you know I've, I've eaten his meals chef? twice at E3. They were amazing. So Andy and I have a, a fun exchange about things. And so I saw, and he's a huge Capcom guy. He loves um, uh, Street Fighter and he loves Devil May Cry. And so that like is his jam is that. He loves all kinds of games, but that's kind of his jam. And there was recently a, was it a Street Fighter? Yes. Cookbook? Yes, there was. So anyways, I, I saw it and I said, dude, like, this is like, I can't believe it. And he was like, uh, where have you been, Andy? Like, me, Andy. Like, you know, making food based on popular entertainment stuff, like a Star Wars cookbook and a Game of Thrones cookbook, and there's a Sopranos cookbook, and there's like a, like a, a food of fictional worlds in real worlds or real foods designed by fictional world. I don't even know what it is, but you go down that rabbit hole and it's a fun ride. And, and you start seeing actual brands getting into it, whether it's the IP brand, the game brand, the Lucas, da, 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 or the food brand, right? Craft or something. And you're like, this is a fun mashup. And it's a fun mashup because it's like, I have a buddy that's living it. Um, and, and it's an interesting connection. And I'd be like, that. there is a community of people that make food based on pop culture. That's ideas. awesome. Like that's fascinating. That's awesome. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. It is indeed. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us on the community feedback loop. This has been um, a ton of fun. Yeah. Super fun. Thanks for having me. Shay, keep it up, dude. You're on the right path. Just be on the cutting edge of technology and where things are going and, and uh, keep playing at apex. Those are good people down there. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. This was awesome. That's all for our show today. Thank you so much for listening to the Community Feedback Loop podcast. You can listen to previous episodes for more conversations with other amazing people we've met in the video games industry. And please subscribe to Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify to support the show. We'll catch you next week.